have to admit, I'm a little bit intimidated by the uh, title, Words of the Wise. I'm not sure how wise I really am, but uh, I'm thankful that I can come talk to you today. Yeah, tonight I'm going to be talking primarily about Gideon, but some others uh, in the Old Testament. And the title of my talk is Gideon, What Is God Calling You to Do? Um, but I'd like to first open in prayer. So if you would bow your heads. Lord, I just pray tonight that your word said. Please, Lord, uh, help your spirit to fall on all of us and help us to be open to your leading and your guidance. Jesus, name, we ask these things. Amen. My name is Tracy Ulrich. Uh, a little bit of background on me. I teach at CMU. I've been teaching at CMU for, I'm in my 23rd year. 23rd year. Yes, I'm a little person. Um, I've been in Intergen, now I'm in my sixth year, and I'm looking forward to my sixth fall retreat. So that's coming up, so make sure that you sign up for the fall retreat. Uh, I'm also a father, so there's my family. I'm the old guy at the top, and there's my wife next to me, and then my son Mason, he's 28, and his wife, they've been married for two years, and then on the right side is my daughter Brenda. She's 25, so that's my family. Now, not in that picture, of course, is our dog, Tim. And so those of you who've been to the house, you know about Tim, uh, and he actually rules the place. So if your place is anything like ours. What I'd like to do uh, before I get started talking about Gideon is, is talk a little bit about, just a little bit about my in my faith struggles, I guess you would say. I accepted Jesus when I was 13 years old. Um, grew up going to church. I have Christian parents, wonderful, loving parents, Addison Church. Every Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday night, um, I was very fortunate that way. Um, I accepted Jesus when I was 13 years old at an old-time altar call where uh, pretty much the evangelist I uh, had us scared, believing that if we didn't accept Jesus that night, we might get in a car accident before we got home. And so we were all concerned about that. But I was thankful that I was able to do that. But when I think about the years since, oftentimes I think it's one step forward, two steps back. And sometimes two steps forward, one step back. Sometimes five steps forward, six steps back. But God's been faithful all the way. And one of those things that I've struggled with, and I don't know if you have or not, is being consistent with my Bible reading. And I wanted, I wanted to say that right off the bat and see if you've struggled like I have maybe through the years. There have been times when I've been very, very consistent. And I've been feeling good about myself, and then all of a sudden it seems like I fall off the wagon and I'm not reading for a while. And then I, I decide, no, I'm going to get serious again. And so... I listen to what I should do, all right? So I said, okay, I am gonna to get tough on this right now. I am going to pray, and I am going to read my Bible every night, and I've decided that I'm gonna do it once the house is quiet. So, you know, it might be 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night, I'm gonna get out my Bible, and I'm gonna pray for, let's say, 15 minutes. Now, I don't know, I don't know if you're like me or not, 
But when I go to pray or go to read the Bible at nighttime, I start reading that first verse, then all of a sudden the Bible falls on me and I'm asleep. And a half hour later, I've read four verses, but it's actually the same verse four times. And I haven't gotten any farther. And so that didn't seem to work. And then I'd say, all right, I know that God can speak to me and he'll speak to me in new ways at any time that I open up the Bible. So I will do this thing where I just open up the Bible and it opens up to a certain spot and I'll read maybe that verse right there or maybe a chapter right there. But there's no consistency. And the other thing, too, is if you've been reading the Bible long enough, you realize, oh, I opened up, oh, it's Psalms again. Okay. So I'll read the Psalms, which, again, wonderful things, but I guess I'm maybe skipping some of those things that are in the, maybe in the New Testament or even the Old Testament that's, that I should also be studying. And then, of course, every January, I'd say this, every January, the guilt comes running through because it's the new year to read the Bible in a year, all right? I don't know if you've had the same experience I have, but read the Bible in a year. I get excited about it every year, and if it works for you, please do it. Please continue it. Please, please, please. But usually what happens for me is the first week, I read good on Monday. Okay, I, I got the, you know, the, the bookmark that had every, everything I'm supposed to read. I got it on, on Sunday as I was going out of church. I do real good on Monday. I do real good on Tuesday. Wednesday I got busy and I didn't get to it. Thursday was busy too. Friday was busy. Saturday I'm two and a half hours behind. Anyone ever been there? Am I the only one? Thank you. I saw a couple hands. All right, some more hands. So then I'm negotiating. I'm in January. I'm negotiating, figuring out how I'm going to get through February. How am I going to group this all together so I can get done in a year? So I failed with that. So I'm, I'm, I'm taking you through my failures. Now, if any of these work for you, please continue to do it. And if God speaks to you that way, please continue to do it. But I'm just taking you through the things that didn't work for me. And then a part of me says, you know, I need to get better at scholarship. I need to spend more time studying and studying deep. And maybe I should go back to maybe some of the original, you know, Greek, which I don't know, but there are, you know, I have apps and different things on my computer and on my phone to where I can go to a verse and then I can go to the original Greek and I can study, blah, blah, blah. And I'll do that for a little while. Then again, somehow the motivation goes away. I had to kind of ask myself who am I and what might work? 
And I gotta tell you, this was, I don't know how long ago this was, but I decided, you know what? I don't think I can do someone else's technique, at least for right now. I need to do what works for me. And I said, you know what? I'm going to use a version of the Bible that I enjoy reading. And so I decided to use the New Living Translation, which if you are a true scholar, you probably want to do more of a, you know, a, a different version, maybe the English Standard or something like that. There's so many great versions. But the New Living was very readable to me. And I also said, when do I really like to read? And when do I have time? And you know what? My daily routine, my daily routine. Those of you who know me, I work out in the morning, and some of you come over to my place to work out. But after that, I like to have a, a breakfast, a big breakfast every morning. So every morning I make, my, make myself eggs, oatmeal, orange juice, and coffee. I have that every single morning. Every single morning. I rarely vary from it. That's what I like to read. And I usually would waste my time kind of reading the news, getting caught up on things that really don't matter. And I said, you know what? That might be the best time for me to read. So I decided, to, you know what? I'm just going to read. And I'm not going to worry about, you know, some people really like to journal. I said, you know what? I've, I've failed journaling. I've done that. I'm just going to read. And so I started reading when I was eating breakfast. And, you, and, and I said, you know what? What have I avoided more than anything usually when I try to read through the Bible? The minor prophets in the Old Testament. So I said, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to read the minor prophets. So I started reading, but I decided to start with Ezekiel, who, who isn't actually a minor prophet. So I started with that, and I finished that. And you know what? I just read. Every morning I would just read. And it didn't matter if I had read two chapters or four chapters or one chapter. I would just read. And then I said, after I finished the Minor Prophets, what's the next thing I avoid? Revelation. So I opened up to Revelation. And I started reading Revelation. And again, I'd read those, them all before. But I read Revelation. And then, you know what? I got through Revelation and said, well, I might as well go to the Gospels. So I got, went and started reading through the Gospels. And then I was... Finish that, let's go through Acts. And then I went through the, the letters and then I, uh, of, of Paul, and then I decided, you know what, I'm going to jump back to the beginning of the Old Testament. Now, when I had tried to read through the Bible before so many times, usually I'd go Genesis, Exodus, and then I'd start getting into all the, a, lot of, a lot of names that were very hard to read, and a whole lot of law that I didn't really understand. But this time, because I was just reading, I was reading, it was the first, this was the first time in my life where I was having fun. Really having fun because I wasn't trying to do it like someone else told me I needed to do it, but I was trying to do it the way that I knew that I seemed to really, really enjoy. So while I'm drinking my coffee, I've got the Bible open and I'm reading. And so, what I'm going to talk to you today is some of the, I'm going to talk about some of the things that I read. And, and I, what I call this now, I honestly do, I call this my Bible adventure. I'm on my Bible adventure. 
and I'm having so much fun doing it. I really am. I'm experiencing joy when I'm reading the Bible. And I, and I started asking myself, why, why is that? And, and again, it's because I allowed myself to read it in a way that was me. And so I want to encourage you to think about the same thing. If you're a journaler, do journaling. Because some people really get a lot out of journaling. If you love the structure of reading the Bible in a year, do that. If you love doing your Bible app, do that. But find what works for you. And don't feel guilty because it's the one that you've picked. All right, everybody with me so far? So, when I was in the Old Testament, I'm still in the Old Testament. In fact, in fact, I'm in Isaiah right now. And so I've just got to finish up Isaiah, and then I've got uh, Lamentations, and then I think I've completed the Bible. Did I do it in a year? I have no, in fact, I know I didn't. I, I, I don't know how long it took me. And at this point, I don't care. And I'm not sure how I'm going to read it through next time, but I, I might take notes the next time. But this time, it's just been a joy. It's just been a joy ring. And so I'm going to talk about one of those people right now. Gideon. Gideon was called by God. Well, let's, let's take a look at when he was called. So we're going to read from Judges. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abazar. Gideon, the son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord peered to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with me, or is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say, didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Continue on. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I'm sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I'll be with you. And you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. What do you notice there? What st stood out to me is the angel of the Lord said, Mighty hero, you are called by God. What did he say? What? Wait a second, do you, do you understand where I am at right now? I am threshing wheat in a wine press. All right? Usually at, in that day and age, you would, they would thresh wheat on the top of a hill, so again, the wheat and chaff would separate. He was hiding from the Midianites. The people that he was going to be called to overtake, he was hiding from. Because the Midianites had taken over 
the land that the Israelites lived in, and basically had, had when the Israelites would grow the crops, they would harvest the crops for themselves. Uh, they were taking, they were stealing the animals. They were leaving them with nothing. And so the Israelites were, were starving. And so he's hiding because they were, uh, again, the Midianites were also beating them, torturing them. Um, so they were hiding in, in caves, in dens. And here he is in a, a wine press trying to hide from the Midianites. And God says, mighty hero, take him home. He said, what? Wait a second. That's not my life. That's not where I'm at right now. Can't you see? We're being crushed. Where is God? God's not here. If he did, if he was here, we would be victorious already. And then he said, you know what? Even if we are supposed to take over the Midianites, I'm not the guy. I'm from the tr tribe of Benjamin. I'm from the least of the tribes. And not only that, I'm the least of the tribe of Benjamin. Do you understand? I am not your guy. When we take a look at Moses, let's go on to the next one, we see some similar things. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. So actually, uh, they weren't always uh, against the Israelites, but they had ended up that way in uh, Gideon's time. But anyways, back to Moses. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Through the bush, uh, though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Next slide. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you're standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering, so I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you, 
And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. This exchange kept on. Moses said, I'm not the one. God came back and said, I am the God of the universe. I'm giving you the power to stand before Pharaoh and to defeat Pharaoh. Moses then replied, Lord, please pick someone else. Please pick someone else. And then God performed a couple of miracles to show that he had the power and he would be with Moses and give him the power. And what did Moses say? Lord, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it because, you know what? I'm not good at speaking in front of people. My tongue gets tied. I'm slow to speak. I won't know what to say. Now think about this. The God of the universe just showed up to Moses, said, you are the one that I have picked to defeat the most powerful man in the civilized world. You are going to lead a million people. That's about the size of the Israelites at that time. The, a million people out of ca captivity. And you are going to take them to the promised land. And Moses said, eh, can't do it. I, I can't speak in front of people. What did the Lord say? I will give you the words. Moses, I made your mouth. Don't you believe that I can give you the words? What did Moses say? Any ideas? Nope. No can do. I hope that if the God of the universe came to me and asked me to do something like that, said, I'll be with you, I would say, yes! But I'm afraid I'd probably be like Moses and say, hey, I think actually that person over there is better. Why don't they do it? Or like Gideon, I am the least of the least of the people of Israel. Why are you calling me? And God said, I picked you. I picked you to lead the people. Now, uh, the God did, God did listen to Moses' request. He said, all right, all right, all right, Moses. Your brother Aaron is pretty good at speaking. I tell you what, you guys can work as a team. And that's what they did initially. So if you notice with both of them, they had an exchange something like this. This is God. This, now this is me, again, you have to understand, I've been on my Bible adventure, so I am 
I'm kind of using, this, this is my interpretation of it, all right? You might go back to the actual scripture and say, you know, that wasn't quite accurate. But anyways, this is my interpretation of all this. And this is pretty much how it works. God says this. There's a great need. I've chosen you for the task. What do we say? I'm not ready. I think someone else would be better. What's God say? I'll be with you. Trust me. How do we respond? I trust you. But maybe not this time. Uh, how about someone else? Anyone been there? Anyone had that feeling? So why don't we move forward and trust God? What holds us back? What holds us back? If we can go to the next slide. Let's take a look at, at, at two words, trust and courage. And these are some of the, my favorite verses in the Bible. They might be yours too. From Joshua, now you have to understand, Joshua had been beside Moses through the entire time that they went into the promised land. As uh, Moses had led the people, and Joshua was there beside him. They had, he had been one of the faithful and one of the leaders. But now Moses had died. And it was time for the Israelites to head into the promised land. And Joshua was the one that was picked to do it. And this was just a, a day or two before they were to enter the promised land. And God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you'll be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua was well prepared. He'd been beside Moses. He'd been uh, in battle. He'd been in battle where they'd been victorious uh, again and again. He'd also seen the Israelites fail. So he was ready to go. But you notice in these verses, there's three different times where God says to him, be strong and courageous. Why did he say that? Three different times. Because Joshua is human too. And if God was encouraging him to be strong and courageous three different times and basically just a couple of paragraphs, then Joshua was feeling some fear. He truly had to trust God, just like Moses had been called to trust God, just like Gideon had been called to trust God, and every other person throughout the Old Testament and New Testament that was called to trust in God. So let's take a look at these couple of words, trust and courage. Trust, a firm belief in the reliability, truth, ability, or strength of someone or something. 
courage, the quality of mind or spirit that enables a person to face difficulty, danger, pain, without fear, another word for it's bravery. I'm going to take a little jump from the, the Bible stories for a minute. And I want to talk a little bit about something that I've been very, uh, it's been, I've been very fortunate to be able to do. Uh, since I've been at CMU, I've worked with a number of, of athletes, um, trying to help them to perform better. My area of, of training in, in my uh, master's and doctoral degrees are in sports psychology and sports sociology. So I've worked with a number of athletes through the years, uh, trying to help them to perform better. It is funny how much overlap there is between sports situation in the spiritual world too. And I've had a lot of athletes come to me through the years. Um, and usually the, the thing that they're struggling with is they perform and they've been doing a sport all their life. They perform incredibly well in practice, but then when you get to the game, it's all gone. And they come, come to me and say, what, why do I perform so well in practice, but in the game, all of a sudden I, I failed. And we start talking. And I, and I ask them about their training and how long they've been in it and all these different things. And what I'll find again and again and again is that they perform, they work hard, they practice, they practice, they practice. They put in not just hours, but years of training and when they go into competition they of course want to do well and you've trained and you've trained and you've trained and you want to control now you've, you've trained you want to control when you go into competition what you're doing so that you can perform well because if you don't control it there's a fear that you're going to fail So they try to control it. They try to control it. They try to control it. And as I talk to them, I tell them, you know, what you really have to do, you've trained, you've trained, you've trained, you've worked, you've worked, you've worked. You have to let go. You have to trust. And we talk about you have to trust your training. Now you can find athletes who will do really, really well, who will work and work and work. And they will, uh, again, go into competition, they'll be thinking exactly about what they want to do. They'll be going through things, what we call self-talk, and 
talking themselves through in visualization, in the goal, in the competition, be thinking exactly that way, and they might do good, but they don't do great. I said, again, maybe they didn't fail, but they did good, but not great. Why is that? And the reason why is because in sport, to be great, you have to let go and give it over and not think, believe it or not. The best performances, the peak performances, are where a person truly trusts. They go into performance and they just let it happen. God's asking us to do something very, very similar. Trust me. Let go. Moses. When it's time to use, for you to speak, I'll give you the words. Just let go. Trust it. Trust it. Trust what you've trained. And God had prepared them. Gideon was prepared. Other versions, instead of saying mighty hero, it says mighty warrior. I've called you. Was he prepared? Yeah, he was prepared. If you read earlier in Judges, when they took the promised land, when Joshua was alive, they took almost the entire promised land, but there were some smaller nations that weren't taken. And it says in Judges that those nations weren't taken. All the rest of them had been, but the small ones weren't. Why is that? Because they had to prepare their warriors. They had to prepare the warriors for battle. So he had... He had been in war. And this was a time now that he was being called to lead. Why were the, why were the Israelites being controlled by the, the Midianites? What had happened? Well, they turned away from God. During the time when Joshua was alive, they were following God. They were doing like they're supposed to, and they were successful. After Joshua died, they were up and down. Maybe kind of like you and I, up and down. Some days you're doing good, sometimes not as good. And after Joshua died, the next judge, they, he was not a, a person of God. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. And they worshiped Baal, and they had Asherah poles. Asherah poles, Asherah was the a goddess of fertility. And so the Asherah pole actually was a phallic symbol, and it was detestable to God. So what the Israelites were doing is they were justifying their sins. They were justifying temple prostitution. They were just justifying child sacrifice, all saying that they were worshiping the gods. And it was up and down. After, again, a couple of judges, they followed the the Lord, but uh, again, when Gideon, at this point in, in Gideon's life, the Israelites were not following God. That's why they were at the place that they were. And Gideon was called to lead because the Lord had seen the suffering. He was going to allow them to be saved. He said, Gideon, you're the guy. So Gideon was called. And he had to step out. 
Now, did he have full courage at the beginning? No, he didn't. His first test, God said, you've got to clean up your own people. You've got to destroy the altar to Baal and the Asherah pole. You've got to cut it down. Guess who had built it? His father, Joash. His father had built the temple to Baal and the Asherah pole. God was calling Gideon to destroy it. So what did he do? In an act of courage, so pseudo-courage, he didn't want to do it actually in the middle of the day because he was afraid that the people would revolt against him. So in the dark of night, he and 10 of his servants went out and they cut down the Asherah pole, used it because it was made of wood to burn up the temple to Baal. When the people woke up in the morning, they realized what happened and they were ready to kill Gideon. And guess who stood in, 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 in his protection? His father Joash. His father Joash said, wait, are you going to kill my son because he destroyed the temple to Baal? No, we need to follow the Lord. And then the people started following Gideon. And as you continue to read the story of Gideon, by the end, he truly was that mighty warrior that the Lord had called for him to be. Same thing with Moses. Moses said, I can't do it because I am not a good speaker. I can't, I cannot do this. And you follow the life of Moses, and yeah, he had Aaron at the beginning, but somewhere through it all, he didn't need Aaron anymore. And by the end, he was quite the orator, and he, he led the people, and you know, you read through the book of Psalms, There's, there is the Psalm of Moses. And he inspired the people of Israel. Just think if he wouldn't have gotten in God's way and trusted them right from the start, he could have been that leader even earlier. But it takes courage. It takes courage to take that first step. Again, when we go back to the, the athletic uh, examples, You've done everything, you've prepared. The hardest part when you get to that event is just all of a sudden, it's time. Let's go. And if you've been there, if you've been an athlete, and I'm sure many of you have, that's also the most exciting time. You're in the locker room, you've been preparing, all of a sudden the coach is, all right, it's time. There we go. If that athlete then is going to be successful, they've got to let go. They can't control it. They've got to trust what they've trained and let it go. Sport happens too fast. If you try to think it through, you're going to be a half step behind the entire time. We've got to do the same thing. We've got to let go and let God. Can I have the next? There it is. I love that. You guys are so good. I love this quote. I love this quote from We Bought a Zoo. How many people have watched that movie? Yes. This is my favorite quote of the entire movie. Guy's talking to his son. You know, sometimes all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage. Just literally 20 seconds of embarrassing bravery. And I promise something great will come of it. 
What's, what's God calling you to do? What's God calling you to do? And we look to Hebrews. It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. What's God calling you to do? What's the fear that's holding you back? Can you, let, can you trust God? Can you let go? Can you have that insane courage? Maybe it's Maybe if you haven't accepted Jesus as Savior. Is he calling you? Have that courage. Is he calling you maybe to be that person to help with kids' hope? You're like, well, wait a second. You don't understand the childhood that I have. I can't do it. Well, yes, you can. Maybe you're the person that's needed. Maybe it's community kids. Maybe it's serving on one of the teams here. A worship team, a cooking team, whatever it is. No, I can't do it. I haven't done it before. You know what? God's prepared you. God's prepared you. Can you trust him? Can you let go? Thank you for being a part of our community opening the word today. We here at Unite challenge you to grow in your relationship with God, to grow in your relationship with others, and to go out and live a Christ-centered life. To learn more about Unite, follow our social media pages or go to our website at mpcc.org unite. God bless. Mm-hmm.